Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing well-being information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. My guest today is Beth Kelly. Beth is a psychotherapist, consultant, coach, and author. She recently co-authored a book called Teaching, Learning, and Trauma, Responsive Practices for Holding Steady in Turbulent Times which I think we're all in right now. She loves working with schools that are committed to caring for their most valuable resource, their people. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Maria, for having me. I'm so excited. It's a pleasure. Beth, you're joining us from Colorado, our first international guest. Yes, and my first international podcast experience as well. (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I want to jump right in. The subtitle of your book is Holding Steady in Turbulent Times. Yes. What do we do? How do we do that? Can you just guide us through how do we deal with turbulent times? Yeah, well, we're certainly in them right now, aren't we? Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll speak a little bit about the book first. Um, I co-authored this book with an amazing colleague and friend of mine named Brooke Odrobanak. Here I have a picture of our book. It's right here. Fantastic. Yeah. And of course, we wrote this before the pandemic. And um, but it just came out this summer in the midst of the pandemic. So it does feel like some um, pretty amazing timing. And our intention is to help educators at whatever, um, whatever entry point you are as an educator, whether you're a school leader, a teacher, a para, um, working in maintenance in a school, whatever your role is, to really start to learn some responsive practices for attending to all this trauma that's happening now, amplified, right, by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And as the work has shifted a little bit um, from from the specific model of the book, which is really an integrated model, uh, the thought is that if each person holds a little bit of the responsibility for caring for, of course, themselves as adults, that's always the starting place. And then how are you attending to the needs of students who have been traumatized, which now, even before the book, I would say is most students, most kids these Mm -hmm. days. Um, When we can do that as a community, it's less heavy lifting on any single individual, right? Which is going to help teachers, I hope, stay in their jobs and be joyful and um, increase positive, healthy culture when we're focusing on those things as a community. Mm. The work has shifted, um, certainly with this pandemic, and and so my work right now is really focused around intensely caring for and helping teachers build some skills and resilience, right? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Because I wanted to ask you, um, when you talk about trauma, and I know we, we will definitely come straight back to to helping teachers, but I just wanted to pick up on that. And especially when you say that most students and young people are experiencing trauma or have experienced trauma. Could you just give us a a definition of that, please? Absolutely. Yeah. I think of trauma as, you know, at its root, a wound. Mm. So when we have been wounded physically, psychologically, emotionally, or spiritually, right, we have experienced a trauma. And we're also very careful in our work to talk about trauma and or chronic stress. Because ultimately, if we're living in a situation of chronic stress where our nervous systems are activated for long periods of time, it's the same result as, you know, experiencing um, 
maybe a specific trauma. So some people might think, well, I haven't experienced maybe a, a specific trauma in my life or didn't maybe grow up in a, in a household with abuse or neglect or where I was deeply wounded. That doesn't mean this current culture that we're living in with all of the shoulds and the social media and the onslaught of things that are constantly being bombarded with, right? Mm -hmm. And inputting to our nervous system still dysregulate us, right? Yeah. And so I think most people, at least here, at least in the States, um, can speak to understanding a lived experience of either chronic stress or trauma. So let's talk then about teacher well-being and get back to to the the point that you started there a little bit earlier about teach how, how do we support teacher well-being? Yeah, great. So I think the first step in any effort to build resilience um, or to handle really anything that we're wanting to in life is to start to increase our awareness. Mm. And that seems like a really simple step, but it's a fundamental step because especially now when we we feel like we're just moving through this this hamster wheel, you know, of routine, um, trying to fit old patterns into this new way of being um, and, and living sort of unconsciously, so to speak, you know, not having some full awareness. It's really hard to even know what's happening to ourselves, to our nervous systems. What decisions are we making? We're kind of in this decision overload right now, making more decisions than we have ever had to. You know, do I go to the store? Do I wear the mask? Do I let my kids do that, like all of these decisions we didn't have to do. So the first step in building resilience is really starting to increase our awareness. And, and a piece of that is building in, starting to build in some mindfulness practices, which is the big buzzword, right? Mindfulness has really come into being in these last few years. And what I encourage people to do is to even set their alarm on their phone or their timer, their buzzer, their Apple Watch, whatever technology they have maybe five or eight times a day to just remind you to take a couple of those really deep belly breaths, right? That help us ground, help signal that nervous system that things are okay. And to just do a simple check-in where, what's my body doing? Do I need to attend to any biological needs of my body? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I talking really fast, right? What's going on for me right now? And what are my emotional, what's my emotional state happening for me right now? What's my spiritual state happening for me right now? You know, am I regulated? Like what needs my attention versus just sort of blasting through these days, we get to the end of the day completely exhausted and kind of not knowing what even happened, right? Especially with this pandemic. That's so true. It's mm -hmm. so true. It just feels like we're on turbocharged, just, just getting through the day. Yeah. And when you say self-regulated or regulating, can you just give us a bit of a definition? What do you mean by self-regulating? Absolutely. So there's been so much work done um, in, the, in the psychotherapy world um, around our, our bodies and our brains and our nervous systems in these last several years, which is awesome because that really wasn't too much a part of our work before. And really starting to understand better the relationship between our nervous system, our brains, when we perceive a threat. So the threat could be real. It could be a danger that's right in front of me, right? Here in Colorado, I talk about if I'm hiking on a trail, <clears throat> excuse me, and I see a mountain lion, you know, I have, some, I have some choices I need to make right away. It's not the time for me to start thinking about like, what am I going to make for dinner, you know? Um, should, I, should I buy that thing or not buy that, right? It's this immediate 
decision and my body gets singularly focused on, am I going to fight the mountain lion? Am I going to run from the mountain lion or am I going to play dead? So when our nervous system gets activated into one of those states, because we're under chronic stress, we have a perception of the threat, like with COVID-19 has certainly activated everyone's, we're kind of all on heightened alert, right? Then my nervous system is going to kick into one of those hyper aroused states where I'm feeling anxious and sweaty and my heart's racing and that's the fight or flight part. Or my go-to response might be into the freeze part, which is to be hypo-aroused, where it's effectively playing dead and I get a little more shut down. My, my thoughts become very muddy, maybe a little more dep- on the depressed side. Things feel slow and laborious, right? And so when, we're, when you think of teachers showing up um, to be with their students, and the hope is to create a container in their classrooms that is calm, you know, uh, Dr. Dan Siegel coined this phrase of this window of tolerance. I think of it as a temperature when we're comfortable in our temperature where I can handle a little bit of stress, right? And I get a little bit maybe activated into some hyper arousal or a little bit uh, like overwhelmed into some hypo arousal, but I'm still functioning pretty well, right? And so that's the, that's the temperature that I want to stay in as a teacher to help my classroom stay in that same temperature zone, if you will, so that the students can feel calm and centered. And then we can get on with teaching and learning, which is part of the primary business of schools, right? To do. Yeah. So, so some of the work is helping adults start to create some awareness around what's my regulation kind of go-to? What's my pattern, right? And these come based on, on how we're raised, on what we saw in our families, on what our life experience has been and what our coping skills are. And so when we are in either that hyper or hypo aroused state, what do we do or what can we do to self-regulate? Yeah. So I think about, again, in that temperature zone, because it just feels like an easy metaphor for me. So if I'm a person who runs hot, if you will, a little more anxious, worrying thoughts, uh, ruminating, you know, playing that same thought over and over in my mind, my body feels warm and anxious. I would be thinking about what are some cooling activities, so to speak, that would help me to, to, to bring that temperature down. So for some people that uh, is going to be that deep belly breathing, mm-hmm. some really slow, deep belly breaths, though breathing from your belly, not your chest, that's your high breathing. That's your anxious breathing. And you'll notice that's one of the first things to go when you start to feel really anxious is like, if you, if you do one of those check-ins, one of those awareness, it's like, Oh, I'm really breathing up here in my chest or I'm not feel like I'm actually not breathing at all. My, my breath comes really shallow. Right. So some of those slow, deep um, belly breaths is a great way to do some cooling or grounding exercises. Um, Moving your body and just burning off some of that energy, going for a walk, Um, if you have an opportunity to do a little bit of exercise and this, you want to be careful because sometimes people that are more anxious or more in that, in that, um, hyper aroused state, they might over exercise because they have so much energy. And sometimes it's like that tipping point, right? A moderation that sometimes 
that just keeps activating your adrenals and it keeps activating your nervous system versus maybe doing a calming yoga practice. That's more like a yin yoga or a, a yoga nidra. That's a more of a meditation, right? That's still physically active, but cooling down that nervous system, shifting some energy, but in a way that's not over activating. Yeah. And, and what about when somebody's in that hypo um, aroused state? So feeling sluggish or. Yes. Depressed. So, so again, how might I, I practice some breathing that is a little bit more stimulating Mm-hmm. to get a little bit more of that oxygen and energy flowing in my body and again, moving my body. So that person may not want to, but that's a person that's going to need to be able to go out for a walk, um, you know, even to do some jumping jacks to do something that's going to get some energy moving and activating through that body that says, Oh, I, I, I need, I can start to thaw, right. I don't need to be in this freeze place anymore. Nice. What a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, these are things that we can um, teach our children and young people, isn't it? That, you know, we obviously self-regulate, but there is absolutely things that we can um, share with and teach our students. Absolutely. Excuse me. We encourage people, educators in the classroom, as you think about planning, as you do your lesson plans, all the ways that you have been taught to do, how might you plan for regulation in your classroom and build that in just like you would any of the outcomes and objectives and goals that you have related to academics? Am I starting, for example, my class with a five-minute or three-minute um, I can't think of the word, you know, a, 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 the systems and structures of my class that maybe we're starting with just a grounding meditation mm-hmm. or that students know for these first three or five minutes, they, they come in. Of course, things have shifted online, right? But that once people get settled in, all the cameras are on or all the, and we do a check-in, we do some breathing, and then we move on with our class. Or it's a great opportunity for teachers when everything is going off the rails, right? And kids are turning off their their screens or they're starting to do show and tell with their dog barking in the background or all the things that are happening for educators on Zoom right now is to bring everyone back and do a few minutes, just a few minutes of some of these grounding exercises to get help students to just start to become aware of their own bodies, right? And to give an opportunity for everyone just to reorient. You know, I think teachers are under so much pressure right now to have all the right answers. And none of us have it all. I don't have it all figured out, Maria. You know, I don't have all the answers. I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody does. And they feel that external pressure. And sometimes it's helpful to go, okay, it's okay. Give yourself permission to settle, to restart, to readjust, to reassess, and to take a few minutes with your students and say, this is what we're doing. Whoa, let's take a time out, right? seems like everyone could use a break and to do some of those exercises. Lovely, Mm -hmm. lovely. And you talk about intentional transitions Mm -hmm. in the day. Can you tell us what, what do you mean by intentional transitions? This is something that has become, I think, so critical right now um, with COVID-19 and all of the online Zoom classrooms and all the things that are happening, is how are you structuring your day to have some transitions with with more real, again, creating that awareness and intentionality? So here's what I mean. 
how are you waking up in the morning? Let's just start, right? The alarm goes off in the morning. Uh, for me, I know that it is a real slippery slope for me if I reach over and I grab my iPhone off the nightstand. Because then I start my day, I'm reading the news, I'm upset, that's sometimes dysregulating for me. I get lost in work emails. I haven't even gotten out of bed, right? <laughs> and my day is going to go very differently if I do that versus I say, I lay in bed and I think of an intention for starting my day. How do I want this day to go? What's going to be front of mind for me, right? It might be a word like slow or ease or patience or fearlessness, whatever the word is that comes up. And then I, I don't look at my phone and then I get out of bed, I make myself a cup of tea and I do 10 minutes of writing. That's my morning ritual. And I do it with intentionality. And it really changes the course of my day versus like, I'm already working before I'm out of bed. I grab a cup of coffee, I get into my computer. And again, I'm back on that hamster wheel. Yep. Uh, we used to have opportunities and maybe you, you all are heading back into school. I don't know what's happening over there, but where at least I have a phone, I mean, I have a drive to school. Mm-hmm. where I might listen to some music or, you know, uh, uh, a newscast or something like that. That's some sort of transition time. And we've lost that when we're working from home. Yeah. And then thinking about the meetings that you're scheduling, you know, we're all like, oh, my, my last three Zoom meetings went late. I'm sorry that I'm late. And there's nothing that can't be said or taught in a 50 or 55 minute period instead of a 61. I'm just going to put that, I'm going to be brave and put, I know that every minute counts when you're teaching, but how am I wrapping up the class? Are we doing a checkout? Are we reflecting on the great work that we've done? Are we taking some deep breaths so that we can transition into our next meeting, both for students and for adults, right? We're code switching. We talk about that in education all the time. And When I'm able to do that, I can have this momentary sense of accomplishment, this momentary sense of, okay, I've wrapped up this thing with this class. I'm going to take a couple breaths. And then how do I need to switch? What do I need for this next class or this next meeting or this next role as I'm transitioning maybe from teacher to mother or father, Mm -hmm. right? Or from teacher to caring for my elderly parents or cooking dinner, or whatever the the next thing is. And it can give us a real increased sense of purpose of, you know, we're especially educators feeling like I, I need a sense of accomplishment, and I need to know my work is valuable, and that I've gotten some things done. And when we can bookend a few different times throughout the day, our experiences, it really allows us to go, oh, yeah, I did do these certain things today. So that's what I mean about living a little more intention out intentionally as we're moving throughout the day. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And just checking in with ourselves regularly throughout the day. And we're recording this, where are we now? Early October. As it stands, most schools in the UK are open. We have some areas of lockdown, but but we don't know. It's very, you know, we're, we're all standing on very unsteady ground at the moment and things can change at, at short notice. So I think the, the being intentional and having these intentional transitions is just a little mini grounding activity, no matter what's happening, whether we're in school, whether we're teaching from home or even on the weekends, just punctuating our day and bringing our awareness to these transitions from teacher to parent to carer to, you know, 
elite athlete if you're trained for the marathon, whatever it is. But exactly. uh, yeah, bringing your intention to what you're doing next, and and it really does help to to stop that feeling of being on the hamster wheel. Sure. It really and to get off your phone. I'm gonna just say that to get the the intentional transitions is never gonna include being on your phone, right? Stepping outside, reconnecting with nature expanding your view to feel like you're a, a part of this world that we're all living in together is never going to include checking your social media account, looking at the news or being on the phone. It's really important to just to, to put that away. If you are carving out a few precious moments of the day, please don't spend them doing that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I roger that. I hear you. <laughs> um. <laughs> What can you you say uh, in your book to reconnect to purpose or meaning or mission in your life? And I think that's so important as educators. You know, so often we'll start our career and, and be really committed to it and really embracing it. And then something happens and we have some experiences that that change that. Can you tell us how do we tune back into our meaning and mission and um, the purpose of why we're yeah. educators. Absolutely. You know, our book is meant to be really reflective for teachers to reflect on their own practices. Again, we don't have all the answers. You know, we haven't, we don't have it all figured out. Our hope is that we all um, notice the, the, that it's our responsibility to care for ourselves and um, reconnecting to purpose is one way of doing that. So I think about, you know, an educator is a, a kind-hearted, open-hearted um, person who's used to usually giving and doing for everyone else, right? It's very hard for them to take care of themselves, but they are purpose and value-driven people. That's why, you, I mean, they're not in this for the money, right? At least not here in the States. So, <laughs> Same here. Same here. Real, real meaning connected and real identity that gets... Um, I think of it like a braided rope, you know, our, our identity gets really mixed in with our work when you're in this kind of sort of wholehearted work, right? And if you lose that thread of purpose of like, why did I put in the money, the time for all this education, all my continuing education to do this job? It's very easy to forget in, this, in the stresses that exist always in education that certainly are in, uh, in, uh, intensified now with COVID. Mm. And so I encourage people as they're gonna, if they're gonna go down this journey to be thinking about <clears throat> what is my purpose outside of teaching first? Mm. Because when we connect too much our purpose with our work, sometimes things get messy you might find that this work is not the work for you anymore. And that's okay, right? That would be a really important discovery. If you say, wow, this work is not aligned any longer, maybe with my values or my purpose. And so maybe my purpose is to be a math teacher, but maybe my purpose is, to, is that I was gifted with a sense of humor. And my purpose is making people laugh. And bringing humor wherever I go. Maybe my purpose is to be a parent. Maybe my purpose is to be compassionate or patient or, or an educator. 
But when you can pull it out of your work, you can start to see how you're living that in all different aspects of your life. And then say, how am I bringing this into my work? And added bonus that there's all these other joyful things that you love about being an educator. And again, as you start with your planning, to be incorporating and how am I bringing my purposeful self, my best self, the things that I love, that I'm good at, that I value into this lesson, into my work with students, with my colleagues, when I'm resolving a conflict, like in all different areas of our lives. So I think it starts with those first questions. And it's a big question. I don't, you know, I'm not the Dalai Lama over here, like understanding what any of that means, but I do know that I'm my only me. Mm. And there are some things about me that feel um, special. They feel like things I've had with me my whole life. They're things that I know, they're contributions that I, I think I know I make, right? And how am I living those out in all these different areas? And then I have something to reconnect to in those moments where I'm laying in bed going, why yes. <laughs> am I doing this job? Like, and then I have some actual conscious choices to make to, to keep bumping up against that and saying, am I still aligned? Does this still make sense for me? Yeah. And you, you raised some really fascinating points then. So what if you are the maths teacher but humor is, is a real thing for you. What, what are you suggesting that you bring more of that into the way you teach or the way you are with your students or colleagues at, at work? So, so not to have this separate, distinct identity that's the, that's the teacher or the leader in the school, that we bring right. more of ourselves to what we do? Is that, is, am I that's understanding that correctly? That's exactly right. Yeah. How can I show up with my whole self knowing that these gifts are meaningful and I'm a great math teacher? Yeah. But that's not all. That's not, and it might be, that might be someone's purpose, um, but it might be something else that still feels like, oh, I'm living out where I'm meant to be in some different ways. Nice. What a lovely way of looking at it. And uh, another point you make is about trusting your wisdom and expertise. So can you tell us more? What do you mean by how do you trust your wisdom and expertise? I think now more than ever, this uh, pandemic has really highlighted for people because we're anxious, because we are experiencing something we never have before. You know, when we're in a stressful situation, well, any situation really, but we notice it most if we're, we're, be, we're in a, a really stressful situation. Our brains automatically like look back and they go, okay, have I been here before? And what did I do? You know, well, we don't have that experience. And I think that's also where people get stuck. We want to sort of pull, pull what was our experiences from the past forward, but that's not the world we're living in anymore. And so we're left feeling like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so everyone's checking Instagram and looking at Facebook and looking at the news. And, and we might be criticizing ourselves and, and looking at our colleagues or our friends or people on social media and feel like everyone's doing this better than I am. People are responding to this differently. There's something wrong with me. And if you hear one thing from me today, it's that however you're responding is normal for you. Mm. And so um, in thinking about trusting your own wisdom, how do we let some of that noise go and say, oh, wait a minute, I'm a trained educator. I mean, I love teachers. They are brilliant to me and they could teach in a 
with a dirt floor, they could teach on the moon, they could teach with a chalkboard, like they are experienced, they are wise, that even if you're new, you have a great community. And PS, even veteran teachers right now are feeling like first year teachers with everything going on, right? And so I think to, in some of these, you'll start to see the threads, right? How can I quiet all that noise and that input and say, what do I know? How do I rely on my training, my community, um, you know, asking for help when I need it, but trusting that I got this. And I say that to parents too, like you are the parents in your family with your children and you get to make decisions knowing who your kids are, knowing who you are, who your partners are, who your spouses are. And all we can do is make the best decision that we can at the time and know as we look back and might say, oh, you know, I might have missed the boat on that one, but I did the best I could with what I had versus looking to all these external things and then feeling like I'm not measuring up. So that's what I mean about trusting our wisdom is like, well, you've been a parent of this kid for 13 years. Nothing that hasn't changed. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And for those people that are feeling like, no, I really don't have the answers. Like I really am feeling anxious about this, that um I I just don't feel like I'm handling it well. Yes. What are some practices? And I know you've mentioned some really fantastic ones. Is there anything else that particularly helping people that are feeling anxious, looking to a very uncertain future? Yes. We don't know what's coming around the corner. Of course, we never do, but it feels more exaggerated than ever at the moment. Yeah, that's uh, something that's a little bit ironic, not to make light of it, but it's like a lesson plan isn't going to do it for us right now, right? It's so interesting that we never actually know. I I never know what's going to happen two minutes from now, but we have this false sense of security in terms of, and teachers maybe more than other populations because they, they're planners and that's part of their job, right? Goals, outcomes, lesson planning. So the first thing is I just want to normalize that having increased anxiety symptoms, having more, maybe more symptoms of depression, maybe going back and forth from both of those, right. Is really normal right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always want to encourage people to reach out to professional counselors um, to have someone to talk to if they need that support. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're not handling this well. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Um, it's that we have not been through an event like this and, and our systems are overloaded and, and you may need some extra support in terms of gaining some of those skills. So that's number one. Please don't be afraid to do that. It's, a, it's such a tremendous sign of strength, in my opinion. Mm. Um, And then to be thinking about when you're creating self-care plans, um, and I encourage people to do that, to actually write them down. And this is not about, I need to go to the gym three times a week, right? And getting in all that mind space where like, well, then I didn't go and now I shouldn't go and all this stuff that happens. This is about you as an adult taking responsibility for your well-being, your mental, physical, spiritual well-being. And if you don't do something, you know, it's harder for things to get better, right? So we all have to accept that responsibility to do, and then to develop a self-care plan that really works for you. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a person that has maybe a a real need for physicality in my life, then how are you adding in movement and exercise and those things to take care of yourself? If I'm a person who leans maybe with a more of a, a spiritual practice, 
How am I building in rituals and routines? Teachers should know that for themselves that support me in that. How am I connecting deeply with others that I care about, right? And not over-connecting or doing too many Zoom meetings or things that don't feel really rewarding that aren't filling up my tank. So when I think about um, balance, you know, people often think it's like this 50% mark between zero and 100. Yeah. But balance is really around movement, is around creating small shifts that keep us where we need to be. And so I encourage people not to go big because they often want to set these really lofty goals. Now's not the time for that. You know, now is the time to say, what are some subtle shifts that would really help me to feel more grounded, to calm my nervous system? Is it less TV? Is it less social media and news that are just creating maybe a trauma loop, you know, and keeping my nervous system really activated? Is it getting outside and connecting with nature? Is it fortifying my relationships that are healthy and life-giving? Is it reducing the experiences in my life that are really draining right now because we don't have a lot of energy? Is it building in a, a practice of reflecting and compassion for myself or a gratitude journal? So I just really encourage people to find the things or amplify the things they know to help themselves care for themselves right now. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. And I love the idea of having a self-care plan mm-hmm. and, and making rituals about that because by definition, self-care and anything we can do to manage or enhance our well-being are nice things to do. They're, they're typically pleasant things to do. Um, and if they're not, say, going to your example of, say, exercise, if you feel like you should be going to the gym and you should be running and you really hate it, well, then maybe it's time to find something <laughs> that you do love. So you might prefer dance or you might prefer another way to move your body and, and be active. But yes. there, there's a real focus on doing things that bring meaning and joy and pleasure and comfort to your life, especially when we're feeling a little overwhelmed, like, like we might be feeling now. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? If anything we've missed or you'd like to say before we wrap up? I just want to thank you for having me on. It's been delightful uh, visiting with you. And again, I just want to encourage people that we're all doing the best that we can. I know that sounds trite, but we can't, live outside of our humanness. You know, we, we're not superhuman. We can't live outside of our capacity. And that now is really the time to simplify and give yourself permission for that to be enough. That's how we get through these unknown times. So I just want to thank you and just send all my love to all the educators across the pond doing great work over there. And I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure, Beth. And I should just add why we're even speaking because um, I didn't make the connection. My friend, Vanessa, who has already done a podcast, Vanessa McCarty, is a friend of Beth's. And she said, you've got to talk to Beth. She's wonderful. And I just thought it's nice just to connect with each other around the world and know how similar our experiences really are at the moment. Even though, you know, your your students are not in school at the moment, ours are for the time being, but they might not be. But we've kind of experienced a bit of that. Even though we're miles and miles away, we're in this together. Like we are all in this together. That's and, right. 
Um, I really appreciate your words of wisdom and sending our love right back over to you across the pond. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, I've been speaking with Beth Kelly. You can connect with Beth on Facebook and Instagram at Beth Kelly Consulting, which is uh, with a double L-E-Y, but you, I've got that in the show notes. And Beth's website is bethkellyconsulting.com. Beth, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Maria, thank you. Take good care. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com and take our free teacher anxiety quiz. I'll include the link in the description below. The quiz only takes a couple of minutes and you'll get a better understanding of where you are today, plus tips to immediately feel better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.